Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Well, good morning. Um, what I want to do this morning is I want to start off playing a little game together. This isn't like a game where you're going to win or lose. Um, this is just a game that I creatively am calling. Um, how would you handle this situation if you had a house full of teenagers? Okay? And in this situation or in this game, I would like all of you to assume the position of being a parent of a teenager, which for some of you, it's like, well, I already am, so it's, I'm cool with that. But others of you, it's like, that's passed me a long time ago. You need to go back to your glory days of parenting teenagers. For some of you, you might even be a kid or a teenager going, dude, that's kind of weird. I just want you to just play along with me and roll with me on this one. So you're going to assume that you are a parent of a room or a house full of teenagers. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a parenting scenario as if the school year just started, fingers crossed, all of us parents are praying for. And, and as I give you this scenario, I want you to think to yourself, what would you do if you found yourself in this situation? Okay? It's simple. Just follow along. What would you do as a parent to teenagers if you found yourself in this situation? So imagine that your kids have just come home from school. And imagine that they had finished this long day of school, and being the great parent that you are, you approach your kids, you gather them all together in your living room at your house, and you ask them the simple question that parents oftentimes ask their kids, how was your day? Which really is a front for a lot of parents to really get to the real question is, do you have any homework that you need to do? And so when you ask this question, again, being the great parent that you are, your kids all sitting around in the living room share with you that, yes, we all have homework, and we all have lots of homework. And because this isn't your first rodeo as a parent of teenagers, you tell them, well, I need you to make sure that you get your homework done before you go to bed tonight. And somehow, because the stars have aligned and the birds are chirping and everything is going better than you imagine, your kids actually agree with you that, okay, mom and dad, I'm going to get my homework done. I'm going to do it with a smile on my face, and it's going to be awesome. And so the day and the night passes on. You have dinner, you're hanging out, and you gather your kids back together, and you ask them the question that every parent's going to follow up with is, hey, how is your homework coming along? Have you got it done? And when you ask that question, your kids, one of them raises their hand, and they say, well, I'm going to be the spokesperson for our group. And when they answered the question of, have I got my homework done, by saying something like this, well, mom or dad, we wonder, children of yours, have all heard you tell us earlier in the day to get our homework done. And please know that we love that you shared that challenge with us. Your words actually really changed us. They challenged us. And you should be happy to know that we've actually taken your words to heart and have even memorized what you said because it made so much sense to us. And even... We even went a step further, and we met together. We even formed a little small group of kids in this house, and we met together, and we discussed what it might look like for us to actually do what you asked us to do. But I'm sad to report, Mom or Dad, that at the end of the day, we decided that it was best for us not to do what you asked us to do, because it would be easier and more comfortable for us to do things our own way. Okay, so maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. Maybe I'm pushing a point here. But I share that scenario for us because I think personally, we oftentimes do the same thing when it comes to God's word. We hear it. We read it. 
We talk about it. We memorize it. And then when it comes to putting it into action, we choose not to do what it says to do, even though we know it's the right thing to do. And in doing so, we miss the entire point of reading God's word. That it wasn't just given to us to read. It wasn't just given to us to discuss. It wasn't just given to us to just wrestle with. But it was given to us so that it might get a hold of our lives so that we might go out and live it out in the world that desperately needs to know Jesus. You see, what the world doesn't need right now is a bunch of Christians that talk a big talk. What the world desperately needs right now as followers of Jesus, they hear the word of God and put it into practice. So today, we're going to look at the song lyrics of King David, who wanted to represent the greatest artist of all time, who is God, from the Psalm 19. And as we look at this chapter from Psalms together, I want to challenge you to do two things. I want to challenge you to listen to the Holy Spirit and to do what the Holy Spirit says. As you observe and you investigate what is going on in this text, I want to encourage you to do two things, to listen to the Holy Spirit and do what it says, do what it says as you ask honest questions from what you learn from God's word. I want to encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit and do what it says as you think through ways that you can represent the Lord in a world that has never been more open to the gospel than it is right now. So for today's, today's purposes, we're going to break down Psalm 19 into two sections. Section number one is going to be creatively called section number one. Section number two is going to be creatively called section number what? Two. Thank you for following along and participating. And as we get on the same page, before we even um, dive into some thoughts on this passage, what I want to do is I want to actually just open up God's word and I want to read for us the first part of Psalm 19 as we dive into section number one. Maybe this is a familiar passage to a lot of you. Maybe it's not. Please hear these words from the Lord. And again, we pray that the Holy Spirit would use these words to speak deeply to our lives so that we might take and apply these words in the world that, we, that God has called us to live in. So Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, and it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. See, Hillcrest, in this passage, we find that these verses or lyrics come out with a bang. Because we see that when God speaks, something incredible happens. This sounds a lot, actually, like the story from Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we find that creation is like this incredibly beautiful poem that has a certain rhyme and rhythm to it, just like a song. It flows, and it speaks. And when God speaks, things happen. Soon we have the sun, the moon, the stars, and eventually, man. It would be safe to say that God sung creation into existence. 
in an epic mic drop sort of way. In the first part of Psalm 19, King David reflects with the same beat as we find in the beginning that God is absolutely 100% obsessed with speaking through his creation. He wrote in Psalm 19:4, the voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. I love David's, David's lyrics here. I love what he says because they're so rich and they represent real life, especially the beauty of God's creation. As you know, many of the greatest musical artists in the history of the world have oftentimes painted pictures of real life in their songs. There are songs that we love to sing and relate to because we find our story wrapped into the lyrics of their story and their songs. Take the song Waymaker. This song was first written and recorded and made popular by a Nigerian artist called Sinek, or Sinok, who released it as a single ahead of her 2016 album called Waymaker. Her music video posted on YouTube has connected with so many people that as of today, there's over 151 million people that have watched and viewed this video. More than 60 different recording artists have covered this song, including Leland, Bethel Worship, Michael W. Smith, and our one and only Daniel Brimer. This song has been so translated, it's been translated in 50 different languages because it's made such an impact in people's life. And Sinek, Sinek who, wrote, recently wrote, who wrote the song, recently said this about the song. A theme song sung in many languages was written to bring hope and faith to many in distress during the COVID-19 pandemic. You see, the song Waymaker is this powerful anthem about real life, about the real life that you and I live right now. We can relate to this song. It speaks to us in a deep and powerful way. So back to Psalm 19. Throughout the psalm, David, the songwriter, uses speech to convey that God actively speaks to everyone. No matter your age, job title, how many followers you have on TikTok, God rest its soul, or Facebook, or friend, like how many friends you have on Facebook, God doesn't seem to discriminate on who he wants to speak to. And the language he likes too often used over and over and over again, is his creation. We see this in Psalm 19, 1 and 2, when David shows us that the creative order is God's constant communication of his glory and creativity in the world. Have you ever just walked outside at night and looked up at the stars? Maybe some of you um, over the past month have been going outside at night to look at the comet Neowise. How beautiful was that? You see, millions upon millions of people actually didn't, you didn't just do it on your own. Millions and millions of people actually did that. And, and in the evening, the sil in the silence of the night, they looked up and they saw this incredible comet flying through the sky. And it was a reminder of the beauty of God's creation. But what's crazy is when you and I look up and we see the stars and we see a comet, we only scratch the surface of what's really going on in our galaxy. In his famous video, Indescribable, Louis Giglio shares with us some incredible facts about how massive our own Milky Way galaxy is. 
Do you know that the Milky Way galaxy, and stay with me when I say this, the Milky Way galaxy is 5 trillion 874 billion 904 million 512,000 miles wide. The Milky Way galaxy is massive, it's huge. To put it in perspective, I want to show you how long it would take to go from one edge of the Milky Way to the other, traveling at the speed of light. For all of you that don't remember science very well, which is, I'm one of those people, um, the speed of light actually travels at 186,000 miles per minute, or I'm sorry, per second. This means that the speed of light, or a beam of light, can actually circle the earth seven times every single second. That is crazy fast. And so for a beam of light to travel the 5.8 trillion, 88 trillion miles across the Milky Way galaxy at 186,000 miles per second times 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour and 24 hours in a day and 365 days in a year, it would take approximately, for all you math people out there, 100,000 years to cross the width of just the Milky Way galaxy. And that doesn't include bathroom stops along the way. You see, if, and also when you're traveling that distance from width to width, you would also pass billions upon billions of stars. Actually, if you wanted to count every star in the Milky Way galaxy because it's so big, if you started counting one star per second, it would take you 2,500 years to count every single star in our Milky Way galaxy. And if that doesn't do enough to blow you away about God's creation, the Milky Way galaxy is one of hundreds of billions of galaxies in the known universe that God created with his words. I love this quote from word artist Jefferson Bethke. He says this, There is no debate about who is the greatest. Because of all those other artists you mentioned, the greatest made them. This artist, he's a beast, man, the lion, the name above all names. You don't realize it, but you encounter his art every single day. You deser he deserves all the acclaim. He deserves all of the fame because of all the artists fade away, but he remains. Don't be jealous just because your favorite artist might bend words. My favorite artist bends galaxies. I love what Evelyn Underhill said. And she said, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. Hillcrest, there are more brilliant people than me that know the Bible better than me, and they're called theologians. And theologians call what I just talked about general revelation, which means that God can generally be, uh, God can generally be known through the wonder of his creation. Simply put, in creation, God wanted to reveal knowledge about himself to other people. Again, Psalm 19, 2. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. So my friends, this morning, if you were to summarize the entire section that I just shared into one sentence, if you were to take everything I just shared and put it in one sentence, I would say this. The invisible God made himself visibly known to us through the creation of the universe, to echo his name and his fame around the world. Let me say that one more time. 
The invisible God made himself visibly known to us through the creation of the universe to echo his name and fame around the earth, around the world. And maybe you've seen this truth lived out in your own life. I certainly have seen it in different places. And one of those places is a place in Colorado that we like to take our students to on our high-impact trip. High-impact is, is an adventure trip that we take with our incoming freshmen, and we love to take them to Buena Vista, Colorado, to this place called Noah's Ark. And one of our favorite things about Noah's Ark is every evening you get to just lay on your back and you get to look up at God's creation. And when you're blessed with a clear night, when you look up at God's creation, it's almost like it's in 4K. It's better than 4K. It's just, it blows you away because you see stars, you see satellites, you see everything that God has put in the sky that your eye can see. <clears throat> and one time when we were there, a little over 10 years ago, there was this incredible moment where all the students, we're all laying on our back and we're all just silent. And we're looking up at the stars and in the silence of the night, this, one of the students who was sitting next to me, his name is Brian Barrow, Brian taps me on the shoulder. Brian, to me, was like a little brother. We had a super tight relationship. We went through a lot together. And Brian taps me on the shoulder, and he says, Nate, isn't it true that God created everything we're looking at? And I'm like, of course, Brian. Yes, you know that's true. Yes, God created all of that. He spoke it into existence. And he said, well, isn't it true that God says that we can learn a lot about him by what he created? I'm like, Brian, you are two for two. You are exactly right. He created all of that, and what you said is true. And he said, well, isn't it true that he loves me more than he loves his creation? And I said, yes, Brian, that's actually true. And he said, well, if that is true, if all of those things are true, and the fact that God loves me more than anything else, if that is true, then I want him to have all of me. And at that moment, Brian trusted his life to Jesus. And now I'd love to tell you that Brian trusted his life to Jesus because of some great talk that I gave or one of our leaders gave that night, but that would not be true. I would love to tell you that Brian trusted his life to the Lord because of some incredible small group thing that he did that night, but that wouldn't be true either. You see, Brian trusted his life to the Lord because the greatest artist of all time showed up and showed off and reminded Brian how much he was loved. You see, the most significant thing that Brian Barrow ever did was trust his life to the Lord. And the most significant sermon that Brian ever heard preached was the sermon that God the artist created in the sky for Brian to see and be reminded of how much he's loved. And the most significant day of Brian's life actually took place about six months later, that following year when Brian tragically died in a car accident. And he moved into the loving arms of his Savior that day. A father who, who wooed Brian into his arms using the beauty of his creation and the love of a family surrounding him. See, Brian didn't go into the loving arms of God because he just was born. He did it because he made a decision to follow Jesus. 
Hillcrest, my prayer for us, my prayer for our church would be that we would be wooed into the loving arms of our Savior. My prayer for us is that God would speak through his creation that he put, has put around us, that he would speak through his word, that he would reveal himself over and over and over again. And through doing so, you wouldn't feel like he's forcing himself upon you, but you would feel that you are loved into his very arms. I love what Francis Chan says in Crazy Love. He says this, Have you ever wondered if we're missing it? It's crazy if you think about it. The God of the universe, the creator of nitrogen and pine needles, galaxies and E minor, loves us with a radical, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And what is our typical response? We go to church, we sing songs, and we try not to cuss. Whether you verbalized it or not, we all know something's wrong. Does something deep inside of your heart long to break free from the status quo? Are you hungry for an authentic faith that addresses the problems of our world with tangible, even radical solutions? God is calling you to a passionate love relationship with himself. Because the answer to the problems we are facing isn't working harder at a list of do's and don'ts. It's falling in love with God. It's seeing him in his creation and falling in love with him as you read and live out his words from scripture. And once you've encountered his love, you will never be the same again. I want to call the worship team forward. And Hillcrest, as we close our time together, as we sing this song together, I want to pray that this would not be a Sunday morning where we just nod our heads in agreement saying, hey, that was cool. I agree with that. That sounds good. You know what? I'm going to think about that a little bit. I want you to do all those things. But Hillcrest, I want to call us as a body, I want to call us as a family to do more than just nod in agreement. I want us, all of us, to agree that the God of the universe The God that created everything around us is absolutely in love with you and wants a relationship with you like nothing else that will change everything about who you are. And I want to ask as we sing this song for you to just be real, for you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your life and inspire you to live a life fully devoted to him not just in theory not just in words but in actions because what the world around us desperately needs is not a bunch of Christian talkers it's a bunch of people that are willing to step into the messiness of our world and to represent Jesus in real and powerful ways so sing this song open your heart up and be real with the Lord He's here to listen, and he's here to put his loving arms around you and remind you how much you're loved 